Good morning. This morning we're wrapping up a four-week series uh, called The Kingdom. And in this uh, last several weeks, we've been exploring one of the meta-metaphors in Scripture. One of the metaphors that helps us tie all the rest of them together. Um, I want to say out, out loud, just make sure in case anybody's misunderstood, there's nothing wrong with just understanding one metaphor. Uh, sometimes all you need to know in that moment is just that God's mercies are new every morning. Or that He is a mighty warrior and He's fighting for you. Sometimes all you need to know is that God longs to gather us under his wings and shelter us like a mother hen. Sometimes all you need is just that one idea that he is a good father. But sometimes, even in the, the most specific moments of our lives, it really helps to get the big picture. To understand how what you're going through right now fits in with everything else. And to understand how that one little piece of God that you just kind of are getting a handle on fits into everything else. And the kingdom, the idea that God is a good king is one of those ideas. Because a loving, good king can be a good father and also send his children to war. Can be gracious and also be just. And some of these things that seem to clash and seem to not fit together actually do when we really get this particular big picture. But again, I, I encourage you to interact with God however you need to. You don't always have to take five steps back. In, it's okay for you to just interact with him in that one way, in that moment. But here's the thing. When we are going through anything in life, that one moment seems the biggest thing ever. Uh, how many here are students right now? You're actually still a student. High school, middle school, college. You're taking some sort of a course as an adult. How many have ever been a student at some point? Okay, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about. When you're a student, sometimes the particular paper you're working on, the particular thing you're doing right at that moment seems like the entire world. And we, as human beings, we tend to go to one of two extremes. We either tend to just write the whole thing off. There is no point in doing this paper. This is not going to matter in my life. Why do I even care what this professor thinks? That's one idea. The other idea is we think, this is it. If I fail at this, I fail at life. My whole life depends on this grade. And it really helps to have a bigger picture and to know that someday, if you invest well, if you work hard, you do your very best, you will get that diploma or that certification or whatever's on the other end of this thing. But also someday, nobody will read that paper again. Not even your professor. They're not going to go back to it five years from now. And so the, the in-the-moment passion, the in-the-moment effectiveness can be boosted by having a bigger picture. There's a story told about a, a guy, uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is fiction, but it's a great story, so I'm going to share it with you. Supposedly, somebody was walking along while they were building the Roman Colosseum, and they saw this one guy walking back and forth all day long with a wheelbarrow full of bricks. And he'd go this way with the wheelbarrow, come back with it empty, go this way. And where everybody else was just sweating and, and, and just feeling miserable, this guy's sweating, but he's whistling, singing, he's smiling, he's having a wonderful time all day long. And finally, the person who'd been watching him says, why are you happy? Why are you having such a good time? All you do all day long is carry bricks back and forth and push this wheelbarrow. He said, oh, I'm not moving bricks. I'm helping to build a coliseum. It's pretty cool. So that's what the kingdom's about. That's how this happens. And what you need to know more than anything else is this. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules as king. 
Whether that's the ultimate kingdom of heaven to come, whether that's the kingdom of heaven where he is right now when we pray, where Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or whether it's the answer to that prayer Jesus told us to pray, this kingdom that we're building here. Most of the scriptures, most of the teachings of Jesus that we have about the kingdom of heaven is actually about that. So that's why we spent so much time on it. That's why we're going to spend the rest of today on this. But God has this vision to build a kingdom in this earth. One more term you might have heard. This is not in the Bible. This is, uh, actually came out of weather, actually, weather predictions. But have you ever heard of the term the butterfly effect? Anybody heard of this? It's a, it was a deliberately poetic and very exaggerated term when it came out. I was just trying to help people get their brain around the idea, which is exactly what I'm trying to help us do right now. But the idea is that a butterfly can flap its wings on one continent and somehow help start a, a tornado or a hurricane on another continent. And that's not literally true, but it actually, that kind of thing happens all the time, not only in weather, but everywhere in nature and in the kingdom of God. Something that you do that seems so insignificant, something you, you do that seems like you're doing your best, but it's just not making any difference at all. Something that you do that you can't see how that's participating in the big picture can actually make a monster difference in ways that you can't even know, even on other places, even around the world. And this has always been God's vision. If you would, let's read one more time Acts 1.8. We're going to read this together. This is right after Jesus gave the great commission that Matthew recorded. And it's right after this, and he, he's saying this is how the kingdom will begin to spread. Let's read this together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And one last time, Jerusalem for us represents where we are right now. Judea is just a little bit outside of that. It's people you know, the community around you, people you can get to easily if you just try. Samaria is where we were last week. That's, that's what we focused on last week. Those are the people that for whatever reason, culturally, socially, whatever other reason, there are barriers between you and them. We've got to bust those barriers down and build bridges because God wants his kingdom to go everywhere. And finally, it's the ends of the earth. And I need you to say this with me together. Um, this is going to go on the screen. We're going to say this statement twice because this is important. God's kingdom vision is worldwide. Let's say that one more time. God's kingdom vision is worldwide. Jerusalem is part of the world. Judea is part of the world. Samaria is part of the world. But God has always had a worldwide vision. Don't miss this. Even in common scriptures. John 3, 16. Listen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that's whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. His vision has always been worldwide. He was thinking globally on the day of Pentecost. The day the church started, it wasn't just, they didn't just happen to have some people be there in Jerusalem that day. Pentecost was one of three annual feasts that the Jews had that required them to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate. One of them was the Passover, 
That's one of the reasons why Jesus was sacrificed then. The sacrificial lamb was killed over the Passover weekend and experience. But 50 days later, here comes Pentecost, and everybody has to come back to Jerusalem. That is the day that God chose to send his spirit and to start the church. That's why, so think about that as I read these couple verses from the beginning of Acts chapter 2. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now think about this, the loud noise they're hearing. Some of that is the sound of a rushing mighty wind. The Holy Spirit showing up in a tangible way. Some of us probably, maybe the tongues of fire above their heads were making crackling noises. Maybe some of that, I'm sure that was amazing. I'm sure there were people talking, what is going on? There was probably like a, a murmur happening. But the thing that was really amazing to them, the thing that was blowing their minds, were they were coming from all over the known world, and every single person there was hearing this message in their own language. Why? Because God wanted every single one of them to understand it. He wanted them to take it with them when they went home. I'll keep reading. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. And at this point in the text, there's a long list of countries, and you'll never remember them, so I'm going to skip the list. But it's a long list. Here we are, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. I think you know what it means. Let's say it together. God's kingdom vision is worldwide. Try that again and act like you mean it, because this is true. You ready? God's kingdom vision is worldwide. It always has been, it is right now, and it always will be. And the reason that he loves Jerusalem so much, and Judea so much, and Samaria so much, is because they're human beings too. And they're the first people that are being charged with taking that message everywhere else. The reason he loves us so much is because we're part of this whole big thing. This kingdom idea is worldwide and all the little pieces matter. But they're all little pieces of a great big, great big vision. We can't lose sight of that. There's two things we always need to remember about God. Even before he started using the imagery of kingdom in the scriptures, that started happening mostly after David's day. But even before he started using that imagery, he was already doing these two things. Number one, he was thinking globally. The second thing is he was using people. Those are two things that are constantly consistent about God. There's many others, but those are two. And if you can grab onto those, you can really get a handle on what's happening the rest of today. God is always thinking globally, and he's always choosing to use people. Sometimes that's a bad idea from our perspective. Because all of us fail. All of us through history, every single group of people throughout time that have ever tried to follow Jesus have succeeded in some ways and failed in others. Every single one of us as individuals, every single one of us as married couples or families or friends, whatever group we are in, if we try our very best, at some point we still fail. And yet, and yet, God chooses to use people. The Great Commission was given to 
people. The job is still ours. It belongs to his people. When the prototype church began, the very first church that formed this day in Acts chapter 2, they were probably <coughs> excuse me, the closest that any church has ever gotten to being exactly what God had in mind. They were really, truly living out their faith. And it was so good and so sweet and so powerful that God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It was so good that even the people that weren't believers had respect for them. It was so good, however, that them being human beings, they temporarily lost sight of the global vision. And things were going great in Jerusalem. They were starting to spread a little tiny bit into Judea, almost accidentally, but they kind of lost sight. So in, by Acts chapter 8, here's what had happened. The church started getting persecuted. And the truth is, the reason the church jumped really quickly and started spreading faster was because of this persecution. Some people believe God caused it. Some people believe that, that, that maybe we should watch for the hammer. If we don't move fast enough, something's going to happen to make us go. I personally believe he uses everything, some, causes some things, allows some things. But whatever happened, this is exactly what he did do to use it. Listen, Acts 8, verses 4 to 6. All the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. And those of you who were here last week, or, or at, least, at least you've been in Sunday school, read your own Bible, somehow you probably have figured this out. The reason the Samaritans were so ready to listen is because Jesus had already been there. And because of his conversation with the woman at the well, because she had brought all of her people to meet him, because he and his disciples had already spent two days there talking and, and, and expressing God's love for them, they already believed he were the, was the Messiah. They were just waiting to hear the details. They were just waiting to hear how his kingdom had started. They were just waiting for somebody to come and bring, him, bring them the good news that Jesus really was the Messiah, and here's what he'd done to start building his kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. It's sad that persecution is what got it started, but we'd already reached Samaria, and now it's starting to reach the ends of the earth. This little underground band of Christians, at first, it was kind of the power of the underdog. At first, it was just God's spirit in them. They, they re-caught the vision, and that's why the church spread. But listen, they were so good at it. Later on in Acts, Luke records, he actually uses this phrase, they turned the world upside down. And the very people who had been killing them in the Colosseum, the very people who had been throwing them to lions for entertainment, started to catch on that maybe this thing actually was true. And eventually, Emperor Constantine, the emperor of Rome, became a believer, became a Christian. And even this, again, God, you see God is thinking globally, He's using people. This is one of the best and worst moments in Christian history because Constantine began to put the power of Rome, the resources of Rome behind sharing the gospel. But at the same time, the gospel began to be diluted and distorted and combined with a lot of very unchristian ideas. And a lot of those are still 
hard to separate for us all these years later. Let's not deal with that. Here's what we can see still happening. God is thinking globally, and he's using people. And that still applies to us, and that's why it matters today. That's why we're doing this today, because he's using us, but he needs us to think globally. This goes all the way back to Abraham. Like I said, Genesis 12, God first formed his covenant with Abraham. It was a very personal thing with him and with his family. But listen how he wrapped it up. He says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Later in Genesis 18, when Abraham offered his son Isaac to God, God saved Isaac and he renewed his covenant with him. He renewed, he, here's how he ended that new covenant. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Once again, the term nations, we tend to use that today as kind of political entities around the world, countries, if you will. But in the scripture, when it talks about nations, it's any distinct group of people, people with the same language, the same culture, they dress similarly. Somehow you can just tell there's that group. They're that group. That's a nation scripturally speaking. And God literally wants to reach all of them. Again, though, this, this vision is everywhere, guys. It's in Psalms. In Psalms 46, the writer is speaking from God. This is the voice of God speaking. And he says, be still and know that I am God. We say that one a lot. We tend to think about that more in the context of meditation or kind of quieting our souls. That's very appropriate to do that. But listen to the rest of the verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. And if you would, the Psalms were originally meant to be sung, participated in. Would you pray this prayer from Psalm 67 with me? Just read it off the screen, but let's pray this to God. Beginning with Psalm 67, verse 2. And I, and I urge you to let your heart actually pray this to God. Don't let it just be your voice. May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us, and people all over the world will fear him. See that big picture vision? Is it starting to click? You can also see the particulars, even all the way back in the Psalms again. Psalm 87.4, this is God saying, People who we have counted as our worst enemies are also going to be part of this kingdom. Verse, eight, verse 4 of Psalm 87 says, I will count Egypt and Babylon among those who know me. Also Philistia, remember the Philistines? And Tyre, and even distant Ethiopia, they have all become citizens of Jerusalem. Here's, if, if this hasn't motivated you, if, if, if just knowing that our king has told us to reach the nations, let me appeal to just, I don't know, maybe your selfish nature. 
I'm not sure, but how many would like Jesus to come back? I'm, I'm in a hurry. Did you know that Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 14? They were asking, well, how do we know when it's going to be the end times? How do we know when you're going to come back? Here's what Jesus said. Well, first he said a whole bunch of other really powerful things. I think we're going to know when he comes back. He's talking about where he's going to appear in the sky. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. Stars are going to fall. I think we're going to know when it's really that day. Okay? But, but, he's given us some clues to be watching for. And here's what he says. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Jesus is not going to come back until everyone has had a chance to hear the good news about the kingdom. So how close are we? According to Kairos, the latest numbers are close to these at least. We have roughly about 6,900 least-reached people groups left. Least-reached or unreached, that means people that they don't have the Bible in their language. They really don't have anybody there at all, any real way among them to tell them the good news. They, they, they might be able to get on the internet and talk, talk to people in another language that's not their language. They might start beginning to access, have access on their own, but there's no one there that has been sent to reach them at all. It's, that doesn't sound like that much, 6,900 nations, but that represents about 2.8 billion people that are still unreached. That's a lot of non-religious people. That's a lot of ethno-religious people. It's 275 million Buddhists, 935 million Hindus, 1.3 billion Muslims. And those numbers are growing faster than our numbers. And we've got to fix that. We can't let the lies spread faster than the truth. We can't let the hate spread faster than the love. We can't let the kingdom of this earth continue to grow faster than the kingdom of heaven. We've got to fix that. I'd like you to take a moment right now and just pray for the lost around the world. I'm just going to stop talking. I'd like you to just take a moment and just pray and ask God to, to put them on your heart, to break your heart for what breaks his. Also in your bulletins today, you're going to see two extra handouts. One has all of the missions that Morrison Hill supports. These go all around the world. Some of them are pretty close. Some of them are literally on the other side of the planet. You're also going to see a little card. This blank on the back has missions on the other. 
Before we have the official invitation, I want to give you another chance to do something or at least commit to doing something and pray a little bit more. But what we'd love, the missions committee has asked if you guys would try and do this this morning. Would you write a note of encouragement to one of these missionaries? If you, if you don't want to do that right this minute, at least pray for them in these next couple minutes. But if you could, just jot it down. And just so you know, as you leave this room off to the left, right next to where the coffee and stuff is, there's always a display there that can tell you everything about these missions that we support around the world. And today, if you go over there, there's some extra stuff and there's a sign-up sheet where you could join our missions committee. They need some people that will help us do an even better job than ever of reaching the lost. They work hard. They're great people, but they need some help. That's one of the things they asked. I said, what could I do? We're talking about this today. What could I do to help you guys? And they said, we need some more people. I'd love to see some people, some of you this morning, sign up there, talk to them, maybe drop some encouragement in there. So would you pray, maybe even write a note of encouragement really quickly for a moment? Then we're going to officially wrap up, and I'm going to ask you to make a decision toward God. Please keep praying, and here, here's the last prayer that I'd love for you to ask God. Ask Him how He wants you to either go or send. There's really no question if He wants us to be part of expanding His kingdom globally. There's really no question if. The only question is how. Some of us are called to go and stay in Jerusalem our whole life. Some of you are supposed to reach Kingston, Tennessee, Roan County, East Tennessee. That's where God wants you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of that big picture. Flap those butterfly wings, baby. That's where you're supposed to be. But some of you are called to go to Samaria and you're not there yet. And some of you are called to go to the ends of the earth. Or at least help the people who are called to go there more than we already do. Would you ask God how he wants you to participate in this. How does he want you to help? What does he want you to do next? Maybe what that means is just giving your life to God for the first time this morning. This is your chance to do that. Maybe it means joining this church. Maybe it means rededicating your life. Maybe it means just coming forward and praying for a few moments. Whatever that means to you. Would you ask God this question and whatever he tells you, would you do it? Let's stand and just quietly pray for a moment and then the band will lead us in a song.